this summer at Holy Cross, we are diving into the book of Psalms. We'll be looking at the different types of Psalms and the themes that are contained in this book as a whole. We especially want you to learn about how we as believers can relate to the emotions in the Psalms and learn to pray through those in your everyday life. Join us now as we unpack another Psalm. Would you pray with me? Father, we do thank you today for your word and for your son, Jesus. And we pray that we would hear through him and through your spirit, your word to us. Lord, would you open it? Would you help us to hear it and apply it and live it in Jesus' name? Amen. Well, please be seated. Good morning. It's great to be here. I see you all have fared pretty well. I'm a little uh, little uh, jittery last night. There seemed to be some small RPG fire over my house. Um, I don't know what they were exploding, but it was huge. I mean, just huge. And, um, I mean, I was whimpering like the cat and the dog, and um, nobody was there to console me. Um, Rachel is away in Minnesota with her dad today, and so uh, we were left there just wondering what in the world was happening. I felt a little forsaken, huh? I don't know. Have you ever felt forsaken? That's a really bad transition. Um I don't think, I mean, it's not a term we normally use, right? Like, oh my goodness. You know, those times when I was a kid and I'd get lost in the Kmart, the time before cell phones when I'd look up and my mom would be nowhere to be found. I didn't march up to the customer service counter and page my mom. My mom, my mom, why have you forsaken me? I mean, could you imagine how embarrassing that walk would be? You know, people would just come up to the front desk to see which kid it was. And... um This would be totally what adult Trevor would have done, a sarcastic Trevor. I would have paged my mom that way, and this giant walk of shame would happen. Um, Fortunately, I wasn't that uh, smart-alecky then. I was pretty bad, but not that bad. So being forsaken is not a term that we normally use, but I dare say that it is a feeling that we have all had. Being forsaken is that feeling of being abandoned or deserted. It manifests itself uh, in disappointment, in desperation, in suffering. And one of the way, main ways that I think that we experience uh, being forsaken today is through loneliness. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but there is an epidemic of loneliness in our world, even before the pandemic. There's a 2018 study by the AARP, that's the, well, that's close to where I am, and um, they're starting to send me stuff all the time, I don't know why, but here's what they found in 2018, that one-third of U.S. adults ages 45 and older, that's me, uh, report feeling lonely. And the study said that the top indicators or stop, the top uh, predictors of loneliness includes the size and diversity of your social network. And I don't think that they mean like Facebook and stuff. I think that they mean your friend group and physical isolation. Being physically isolated leads to loneliness. And I wonder which one of us in the last 18 months hasn't felt some breakdown of our social network and experienced physical isolation. We all have. But since 2018, because of the pandemic, it's gotten worse, right? Harvard released a study in in February that found that 36% of all adults 
have experienced serious loneliness, feeling frequently lonely, or almost all the time, or all the time, in the four weeks leading up to the survey. That's serious business. And it's not just people 45 and older. In fact, 60% of those 18 to 25, the people that we think are in the prime of their life, the people who have all the friends and all the activities, 61% of those people expressed the same feeling of loneliness. At one point or another, loneliness is a universal human experience regardless of your age. Whether you're a school kid disconnected from your peers for the summer, or a young adult in the transient stage of establishing your career, or you're a young parent isolated by baby's sleep schedules, or you're an older adult who is isolated from their children who are doing their own life, or perhaps in a retirement community away from your friends. It's easy in those moments to think about how we, to think that we've been forsaken by our children, by our friends, and maybe even by God. And this is at the heart of Psalm 22, which David begins with these famous words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from me? Why aren't you saving me? Friends, if you're feeling this way, or if you've ever felt this way, and if you ever feel this way, this psalm, perhaps more than any other, shows us how to face hardship with hope. It's part of our series called Let's Be Honest, Praying the Psalms, which we are looking at different types of psalms throughout the book that characterize many different psalms themselves. Psalm 22 could be categorized into several different types. In one sense, it's a royal psalm, which as part of the Old Testament is often about David's kingship, since he wrote most of the psalms, many of the psalms. It's about him as king. But in another sense, as is the case with this one, this is a psalm about the ultimate king, right? King Jesus. And at its heart, Psalm 22 is a complaint. It begins with a lament, right, and a cry for help. And it transitions to a psalm of confidence. In in it, we see a movement from complaint to confidence, from desperation to deliverance, from asking to assurance. And I wonder, what about you this morning? You see, Christians aren't free from suffering. In fact, Jesus himself in John chapter 16 tells his disciples, he says, in this world, you will have trouble. So what do you do when difficulties come about? What do you do when you're lonely? What do you do when you feel the world or your family or even God has abandoned you? We'll see this morning that David and subsequently Jesus shows us how we can face hardship with hope. And here's how. Notice first how David responds to difficulty. 19th century Scottish poet and hymn writer Horace Bonner once wrote, Nothing so quickens prayer as trial. It sends us immediately at once to our knees. 
Now, we don't know specifically what's happening in David's life. But if you read the psalm, and I encourage you, it's a long psalm. Go back and read it. He gives us glimmers of all kinds of images of bad stuff that's happening. We'll go through that. But we don't know the, this particular, we don't know the particular circumstances. Uh, let me just go to this, all right? Can you hear me now? All right, good. Sorry, this microphone, it's just, it's janky, and we want you to hear the Word of God. So uh, nothing so quickens prayer as a trial, right? We don't know what's happening in David's life, but we see that his first response to his dire situation is prayer. In verse 1, he wonders why God's forsaken him. Beginning in verse 3, he remembers who God is and what he's done. Continuing in verse 6, he his lament continues to build. He goes, I am a worm and not a man. What a great line. Um, scorned and mocked by others for his faith in God. He's being hunted by ravenous lions in verse 13. Verse 14, his heart is melted like wax. Verse 15, his strength is dried up. I mean, it is getting worse and worse for David, right? Then he's surrounded by dogs. And evildoers who have pierced his body and taken his clothes. The situation for David is bad. And David's response, and we see this throughout the psalm, is to cry out to God. There's no fabricated bravado in David, right? There's no, I shouldn't feel this way because I'm more blessed than somebody else, right? Which is a perspective maker in our world. But but what David says is like, this stuff is bad. And it gives us freedom as Christians to look at the circumstances of our life, the difficulties we face with honesty, and turn to Jesus and turn to God and cry out to him. Just as David does in verse 1. He also does it in verse 11. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there's none to help. And again, in verses 19 through 21, do not be far off. Come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul. Save me from the mouth of the lion. Friends, the way to find hope in the midst of hardship is by calling out to the one who can and does help you. By calling out to God. Even in the midst of our brokenness. You know, when I was lost in the Kmart, I didn't just stay lost. No, I marched my little nine-year-old self up to the customer service counter and I called out to the one who could help. Diane Spencer, please meet your party at the customer service counter. That's exactly how they said it, you know. Everybody knew what that meant. They knew some kid was standing there, right? But then you know what I had to do? I had to wait, right? Because she was in the fabric section. And nothing good or quick ever happens in the fabric section. But the reality is, is that I had called out to my mom in that situation. I waited for her to respond. And she responded. This is exactly what we do as Christians. Right? We call out to God and we wait for him. And in the midst of waiting, we can remember the things that he's done. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, once preached that in darkness we desire only Christ. 
He said, if you place a Christian in trouble, you will find that he does not want gold then, that he does not want carnal honor. He wants his God. In the midst of trouble, you and I need God. And David's prayer is not so much an accusation like, naughty God, why have you left me all alone? But it's more a confession of faith. God, I expect you to be here and to rescue me. Where are you? I'm putting my faith. I'm putting my hope. I'm putting my life in your hands. This is the way that we face hardship with hope. By putting our faith in God. By calling to him in prayer. Second thing I want you to notice is this. Notice that this is exactly what Jesus does. You've probably been waiting for me to make this point. Because Psalm 22 is most notable not for what David says in it. But the way that Jesus uses Psalm 22 on the cross. When he's on the cross, when he's bearing our sin, he cries out to God the very verse, uh, the very start of this passage. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When Jesus is in most need, when he feels most forsaken, when he is going through the greatest suffering of anybody in history, it is his response to call out to his father. In this, Jesus is not only our redeemer, but he is our model. He is our example. He teaches us how to respond to hardship. And what's amazing is that if you were to, I encourage you to go read the Gospel of Matthew and the crucifixion story. We started the triumphal entry today uh, as Jesus the King is entering Jerusalem. But I encourage you to go read Matthew's account of the crucifixion and resurrection. And then come back to Psalm 22 and read it. Because you'll see the entire story prophetically told in Psalm 22. 600 years before Jesus walked the earth, David is using words to articulate exactly what Jesus is going through. See, when he took our sin on him on the cross, right? Jesus literally becomes a worm and not a man. He literally becomes a worm and not a man because that's what sin does to us. You and I were made in God's image. You and I are uh, given his likeness. uh, Psalm 139 says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And yet what sin does is it tarnishes that. It damages that image. It makes us look less than human, less than God intended. And that's the poetic beauty of the Psalms, right? I am a worm. And not a man. This is what Jesus does for us. He becomes a worm in our place. You can also hear the crowds that mock Jesus. Specifically in verse 8. Psalm 22 verse 8 says this. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him. For he delights in him. You can hear the mocker's voice in that. Verse 16, the dogs and evildoers who surround him have pierced his hands and pierced his feet. Just like the nails that pierced Jesus' hand and Jesus' feet. And then in verse 18, they cast lots for his clothing. See, Psalm 22 is full of incredible prophetic detail. And in it we find that David, we're reminded that not only does David cry out, 
But Jesus cries out, and we can cry out as well with confidence. And we can do that because I want you to notice the outcome. God never really forsakes us. He didn't forsake David. In the midst of his cry, in verse 21, we find a transition. God rescues David. In one stanza, he cries out, save me. And then the next, he says, you have rescued me. And then if you read the rest of the verses, it's a completely different attitude. His heart and his mind and his words are turned to praise or turned to telling the world about what he's what God's done. You see, God didn't forsake David. And of course, God didn't ultimately forsake Jesus, did he? Even for a moment, he turned his eyes away from him as he bore our sins. But that's the ultimately the reason you can have hope and that you can know that God doesn't forsake you. It's because he didn't forsake his son who came and stood in yours and my place. It's why you can face hardship with hope. Because Jesus bears your, friend, your sins so that you can be free. He's momentarily separated from his father. He, sep- he experiences the separation we deserve. So that being risen again, the sign that his father didn't forsake him, right? He did not remain dead. Being risen from the dead, he might eternally connect you to his eternal life. While there will be moments in which you and I experience real difficulties, and I do not minimize that, the circumstances and situations of our life can be difficult. Even though we can experience suffering, and it may seem that God has abandoned us, as Charles Spurgeon puts it, there are seasons in which the brightness of the Father's smile is eclipsed by clouds and darkness. Let us remember that God does not really forsake us. And I wonder, have the clouds and darkness of your life eclipsed the brightness of God's love for you? You need him to come and shine brightly into your situation and your heart. And if that is you... I encourage you to cry out to God and to turn to his word and turn to the brothers and sisters in your pews and your seats and in your life groups and in the church so that we might share with you in your suffering and tell you about how God's faithfulness does exist. If that's you, these moments, they are momentary. David recognizes this. In verse 24, he says this, For God... God has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. He has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. This is what David experienced. God did not turn his face from David. God did not turn his face from his son permanently. And he will not. He will not. He will not turn his face from you because he loves you. Finally, I want to just talk about our appropriate response to God's grace and rescue to his salvation. First, it should lead us to the church. And second, it should lead us to others. In the last third of this uh, chapter, David begins in verse 22 to talk about how he is going to tell 
others about God's rescue. He's going to start by telling his brothers, then he's going to tell the congregation, which is the community of people who love God, which is Israel. And then by verse 29, he's starting to talk about all the people across all the earth. That doesn't sound like what the disciples were charged with in Acts, to take the uh, resurrection, the good news, right? First, you know, to the, to the, the br- brothers, then to Judea and Samaria, and then to all the earth, right? This is what we are called to do. It hasn't changed. The church is where we learn about what God's done both from his word, but also from each other. The people, the brothers, the people we're gathered with, people who've experienced isolation and loneliness and yet know God's rescue. I talk about this all the time. Sometimes I need somebody else to speak the truth of God into the very present place of my life. And guess what? This is where it happens. If you are experiencing isolation and loneliness, being here is just the right place. It is the perfect place. Being in your life group is a place of encouragement. The church is where we learn about what God's done. If you're waiting on something from the Lord, the church is the place for you to be. The second is church is the place where you tell others about what he's done. If you, if you need to hear from him, it's the place you go. And if you've heard from him and he's acted, it's the place you should go. Because there's somebody else who needs you. There's somebody else who needs you to talk about God's faithfulness. And then finally, the church is the place to praise God. Worship helps you and me face hardship with hope. It's here when you call out to God. It's here where we remember what he's done. It's here where we respond with gratitude and we sing out his praises, both in music and in word and in scripture and in liturgy and in life. It's here where we find hope, no matter the circumstances, that God is not far. He has and he will rescue you. He will not forsake you. Church is the place. This community of brothers and sisters is the people who help us face hardship with hope. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you have given us example upon example of people who face the difficulties of life and found you mighty to save. Lord, we do pray that whatever circumstances that our brothers and sisters this morning, whatever circumstances we may be going through, that we would cry out to you and find that you are an ever-present help. Through Jesus' name we pray. Amen.